Please take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. One of my favorite passages in all of scriptures. We're back in our journey, our study on looking to Jesus. Uh, Every week taking a different snapshot of Jesus. The north star of our spiritual journey as we've already talked about. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And all of this unrest, this this uncertainty, um, all of this discouragement, all of this, quite frankly, disgust. What are we to do from youngest to oldest here? Never take our eyes off Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the call of the New Testament believers. Look to Jesus. Never take your eyes off of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So through this time of unrest, uncertainty, what we've been doing is just different snapshots. One of the snapshots we started with last week, and we're trying to pick Jesus Christ, the preeminent one. We looked at this key idea last week. As our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on the preeminent one. Colossians 1.18, as you can see on the back of your handout, if you scroll down to verse 18 or in your device or in your Bible there, maybe circle this word preeminent. Here it is. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Not in some things, not in most things, but in everything He might be preeminent. We looked at that last week. We started into this discussion. When we talk about preeminence, I'm going to really spare all of the pictures from last week. But when we look at and we think about preeminence, what are we talking about? Remember? First place. When we talk about preeminence, unquestionably supreme in position and power, preeminent one holds the absolute highest rank of honor. The preeminent one holds first place. Remember, if you would, with me that this introduction of the preeminence of Christ to the church of Colossae. You remember this last week? I'm just going to breeze through this. This church was tempted big time by theological syncretism. Do you remember we talked about that last week? What is that? It's blending all sorts of theological persuasions like the one we looked at last week. Pre-Gnosticism. Blending that with philosophical trends, with mystical fascinations, with man-centered legalistic practices and putting them all together and saying that's, that's what we're going to hold on to as some sort of truth. It is a mixing pot of theological confusion. And that was the Church of Colossae. We're reading in Colossians. We're studying Colossians. That's what they were working through. I mean, we shared a couple of illustrations. I've been thinking on this this last week. Uh, Last week we talked about what happens. For us, it was in the fall. We'd have youth activities, and you'd take all these different soups off the the shelves, and you just got a little bit of that, a little bit of that. We called it hobo soup. You just kind of mix it all up. You mix it together, and you give it your best shot. And you're like, wow, that's good. And then sometimes you're like, yeah, that's gross. All right. This hobo soup of Colossae was, yeah, that's gross. You're mixing all kinds of things. I mean, I, I thought about 
I mean, probably any of us can come up with any ridiculous illustrations. I just have the opportunity to talk, so you get to hear mine. When I was in college, I went to a, a Christian college, a private institution, and it was a great place. And I had some, aw- we had some awesome people that worked in the cafeteria. But every once in a while, you would have like casserole Thursday. You know what I mean? It was great. Food was great there, but they were super creative sometimes on Thursdays, I think it was. You'd be going through line, you'd be like, oh boy. And you'd put this slop on your plate, and there was, there was stuff there that you know had had its way in every single meal all through the week. You're taking a bite of this thing, and all of a sudden, like, this hot dog pops out of there. What is, and somehow, it mm, was good sometimes. All right, so when we think of theology, this is casserole theology. The church of closet, I mean, I think of so many other things. I think about what happens in our lives in Thanksgiving. All right, you have your turkey. What Every single Turkey sandwiches, turkey omelets, turkey stew, turkey lasagna, whatever. I mean, that's what's happening here. They're putting all of these things together and kind of tapping Jesus into all of it to call it good. All right, I think what happens when I was a young kid, maybe some of you have done this, uh, you build these forts. I was a fort builder. I loved it. When the last touches to your fort was to put some kind of paint on this fort. And what did you do? You go to the cabinets and you find like 10-year-old paint in your parents' cabinets. Dad, can I use that? Yeah. You find the stuff that's not like all crusty at the bottom, a little bit of liquid to it. You mix it up and you're like, that's not enough to paint. And what do you do? You mix it in with another deal. And they're like, that's maybe two inches of paint. That'll get us the front door. You mix a little bit more and a little bit more. Before you know it, you've got like half a container of paint. And you're like, I don't care what it looks like. We're throwing it up there. You throw it up there and you're like, "Uh, Mom, Dad, can we buy some more paint? That looks bad. All right. This is the theology of the Church of Colossians. We're mixing a little bit of paint here, a little bit of paint here, and we're going to just promote this. And Paul looks at this and he says, you got to be kidding. You cannot blend these things. Jesus is not... One among many. And we got to get this in our minds. Jesus is not one among many. Jesus is not to be somewhere on the list. Jesus is not to be added to the mix. Jesus is not to just be admired, admired alongside all other items on the shelf. No. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the point of Colossians is that Jesus is eternally preeminent. He's supreme. He's over everything and anything. Everyone and anyone. Jesus is the one who completes us. I love what Paul says. We looked at this last week. Colossians 2.10. Don't be spoiled through philosophies. Don't let them ruin you. Don't go to all these things and think, yeah, I'm going to take some of that and that. And what does he say in Colossians 2.10? No, you are complete. And Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, this Jesus is to, we know he's preeminent above all things. We saw that last week in creation. But very practically, every day of our lives, Jesus Christ is to be preeminent. Every decision we make, Jesus Christ is to be first place. That's what Paul is saying here. So, in Colossians 1, 15 through 23, you can see this on your handout. 
Jesus deserves first place because of his role in creation. We looked at that last week. You can't top this. Jesus was in every single aspect of the creation of the world, the creation of your life. Not according to pre-Gnostic thought that said Jesus was just one of these emanations to He was just one way to get to know to God and know some about God as you get closer to God. No, Paul is saying, no, you can't have that because guess what? Jesus made all of this. He is supreme. Jesus deserves first place because of his role in creation. Well, we're going to take this now, just the same thought patterns of Paul in this text. Not only is Jesus first place because he created all of this, but then there's another miracle that happens. Not just the miracle of the creation, but the miracle of the recreation. So we're going to talk about that over the next half hour to three hours. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking about that this week. We, this is full throttle time, so hold on. Take this stuff, take it home, and study it. I mean, we have 45 minutes on a Sunday morning to dig in, so we're going to go for it. There's going to be some questions you have. Write those down. Let's talk about them through the week. But this, we don't want to just skim over some of this stuff. Obviously, we're going to have to go faster through some of it, but we want to interact with some of the deeper truths of theology in the Scriptures. So, this recreation, what are we talking about? Well, one of the overwhelming themes in all of the Scriptures is this. Jesus is fixing. Jesus will fix all of what sin destroyed. Catch that. Jesus is fixing and will fix all of this stuff that sin destroys within the parameters of exactly what Scripture says. Obviously, we run all of this through the holy justice of God. Those who clearly refuse the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Those who clearly uh, rebel against Jesus Christ and distance themselves from the shed blood of Jesus Christ and stiff arm what Jesus Christ does on the cross. There is justice that comes in that case. Obviously, that is what the Scripture says. But when we think about this recreation, what God is doing, He is fixing, He is making, as we find in Revelations, we get to the end of your Bible, you said He makes all things new. He is fixing what sin broke. This includes two things. It includes all of creation. The entire created order is what we're talking about. Think about this. A lot of times we don't really realize this. The suffering from the effects and pains of sin Jesus is fixing this. Jesus will fix this. Not just struggles with humanity. We're talking about people. But we're talking about land and water and skies and animals and all vegetation. There's clear passages in Scripture that says Jesus is going to make all of this new. It blows our minds as you see how this is described by different prophets in the Old Testament and then different ones in the New Testament, even Revelation, John and Revelation. It blows our mind how God is going to fix the world around us, destroy it, and then provide what's known as the new heavens and the new earth. That is what Jesus Christ is doing. So, not only does it have to do with the created order, but as we'll see from Paul in this passage, it has to do with People. The recreation is happening in your heart and my heart. Like, what are you talking about? Well, if you turn your hand out back over, I wanted to include this passage because this is an awesome passage. 
Anytime you talk about the recreation, you need to engage with this passage. Paul to the church of Corinthians. Corinth. And and I'm just going to read this. A verse we talk of often. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. He's doing a work of recreating us from the inside out. Here's how it's explained. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And to be quite honest with you, sometimes we stop there. But I don't want to shortchange what Paul is saying here in this text. If you look at verse 18, we find actually a a key word when it comes to the recreation. It's a word we need to interact with today. We don't want to ignore this word. See if you can identify what this one word is mentioned four times. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of what? Reconciliation. All right, there's a word that's used four times in there, so we should probably interact with that word. All right, so in the discussion of recreation, we have this concept of reconciliation. So please hold on. Teenagers, I know you can get this. Young ones, you can get this. These are good words. Take note of this concept of reconciliation because we need this in our brains and in our going to happen. It's going to happen through a word called reconciliation. Okay, back to Colossians because I want to see how those two words come out in this text as well. I'm just, let's just read this passage. Colossians chapter 1, and, and today I'm going to re- start in verse 18. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He's talking about this recreation. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be what? Preeminent. Let's try that again. That in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of the God, of God, of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, and through him too, what's the next word? Reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, let's make this personal, you who once were alienated and hostile in your mind doing evil deeds, he has now what? He's reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Clearly, in this passage, Jesus has fulfilled his preeminent role in recreation through reconciliation. All right, let's try to wrap our minds around this. Jesus is preeminent because of recreation. How has recreation happened? Through reconciliation. The statement then, we need to really interact with how Paul says it. Jesus has reconciled people to a holy God. That's the theme of this passage. Then we probably want to ask, what is reconciliation? So back to this discussion. If If someone in your row right now were to say, hey, can you explain what reconciliation is? Could you do it? What would, what would you say? What are these words that would come to your mind and come out your mouth? I'm going to tell you, reconciliation is kind of one of those 
well, we, Christianese type words, isn't it? We throw it out there and we're just like, everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. You got it. But actually, we need to kind of spend some time defining it, explaining it. I mean, when you look at the New Testament, there are five key words. I'm not going to go through all of them, but five key words describing our salvation. One of those five key words is this word, reconciliation. So then what does it mean? Well, technically, here's what it means. To effect a complete and restorative change. It's a change. It is the exchange of hostile association for peaceful relationship. Think about that. Hostile relationship for peaceful relationship. You're exchanging those. Here's basically what it is. It is to fix a broken relationship. To mend a broken relationship. That is the bare bones meaning of reconciliation. To change you by fixing a broken relationship. Okay, so that's maybe technical terminology. What about very practically? We see reconciliation all over the place. I mean, you can think about any, almost any one of the Disney movies in your home. And there's reconciliation. Some sort of reconciling happening. Once enemies, now friends. I was thinking about that in some of the classic movies this week. Anybody... Man, I love this group. You really like the little rascals? I love how, I mean, there was a show back in the day, and then they put a movie together, and I think that's one of the classic movies. I love that movie. It was put together, that was probably 25 years ago. But I love this because we went from He-Man Woman Haters Club. You remember this? The, the whole thing, the creed of the He-Man Woman's Hater Club. And what happens at the end of the movie? They're all sitting together. Mended relationships through the course of the movie. Mended relationships. Here's one. Who's this guy? The Grinch. I love this Grinch in Whoville. And Cindy Lou Who. And what happens at the, mid, the beginning of the movie is he's like stealing everything. We go from greed and hatred. He hates Whoville. Remember the end of the story? Man, we're eating roast, what do they call it? Roast beast. With all of Whoville, reconciliation has happened. Broken relationships have now come together. Here's another one for those who like these Jane Austen chick flick things. I can endure them. Actually, I don't mind this one so much. I don't know how many different uh, renditions of this thing have been out. But this particular one I remember watching. And you've got uh, this whole story with uh, Elizabeth Bennet. Remember this? And Darcy. And they go from like incompatible and like angry at each other, the pride and prejudice thing, to what happens at the end. Oh my goodness, I watch this and I laugh every time because I know it comes to the end in this one scene on this particular movie. She's like, I'm just incandescently happy. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. All right, this is reconciling from one, one part in the movie they can't stand each other to the end they've reconciled a relationship. All right, any Disney movies, any of these movies, you're going to find some sort of reconciliation from Rapunzel and the smolder dude, Flynn, from one part of the movie to the last part of the movie and they can't stay away from each other. From hitting with a frying pan to embracing each other. This one, Frozen. All right, Elsa, Anna, we hear this all the time. 
My daughter's down there smiling real big. She's probably going to break out with, oh. <laughs> They're already singing it. All right. But in the first one, I love it. I mean, the whole story, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but you go from her like about to tear off someone's head to them loving each other again. Reconciliation has happened. You cannot talk about reconciliation without this. Classic. You know it. All right. Yo, Adrian style. All right. Rocky won. They're tearing each other's heads off. Rocky Balboa. And good old Creed, Apollo Creed. But you walk through these and, and you watch them. We're kind of introducing these to our kids slowly. We watched it a couple years ago. We're about to watch another one here coming up soon. They don't know it, but we are. <laughs> but from the first one to the third one, it blows my mind because you go from that to this. They're dancing in the river together. This is reconciliation. All right, mended relationships. So when we talk about reconciliation, it's not one of those Christianese words that we need to keep at an arm's distance. No, this is something we see all the time. It's mended relationships. Summarized, reconciliation is the mending of a broken relationship, the changing of status from enemy to friend. If you want to think of it in terms of social media, if there was a button on there where you not only have a friend status, but you had an enemy status. All right, and you can click it. You can say, no, you are my enemy. And that might come out sooner than later. Rather than my friend, you are my enemy. Well, if you think of it in social media sites, it's like taking and clicking from enemy to friend. You have mended a relationship the changing of a status. It is going from hostility to love, and I don't think this is depicted in much better way than what we find in verse 20. Verse 20 says this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. But then there's another terminology used, and I think makes it so clear and plain to us. And I hope you're holding on here, this reconciliation. Here it is. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What is reconciliation? It is God making peace through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ providing peace between a hostile enemy of God and the holiness of God that cannot interact with sin, and cannot receive, and, and, and cannot and how He completely deals with sin. Light and darkness cannot interact. That is this God. And an enemy of God and Jesus Christ making peace through the blood of His cross. That is reconciliation. By the way, uh, we say these verses around Christmas time in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. One of the key designation snapshots of Jesus Christ is Prince of what? Peace. Our Savior is known as the Prince of Peace. What is involved in reconciliation? It is bringing together two hostile sides and providing peace in a relationship. And that is directly what Paul talks about here in Colossians 1. Colossians 1 answers so many questions that we might have about reconciliation. So let's take the next 20 minutes and let's answer, ask and then answer these questions starting with this one. Who needed to be reconciled? Who needed to be reconciled? All right, verse 21 answers this directly. And you, 
who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Okay, Paul doesn't mix words on that at all. Who needs to be reconciled to a holy God? Here it is. You and me. All of us do. Why? Well, here's how he says it. You who once were alienated. Okay, that word alienated means excluded. It means estranged. It means separated. In our minds, we can, and I'm going to full throttle it here, so hold on. Let's go together through these texts. If in your mind you go back to what happens in Genesis, very clearly in Genesis 1 through 3, there was an alienation happening, a separation that happened between a holy God and rebellious man. If you travel in your Bibles, very clearly that this separation passes to every single person born into the human race. You and me. We are alienated from an holy God. Passage after passage you can go to to prove this. We were born as enemies to a holy God. Um... He also says this in describing who needs this reconciliation. It goes beyond just a status of being enemy in your mind. The word hostile actually, it's the, some of your translations might actually say the word enemy. You're an enemy in your mind. Starting, th- this hostility starts in the way we think and comes out in the way we act. We are actually enemies of God from the inside out, whether we know it or not. When we're born into the human race, we have, we have thoughts against God that have been corrupted through the Adamic race. Here's how, here, here, here's how Paul also describes it. Doing evil do- deeds. So it's not just your status. It's not just your thinking. It is your actions. Participating in godless actions. This is sin. Missing the mark of God's righteousness in word, action, and thought. Very clearly we find in the book of Romans that all have sinned. They've missed the mark. We have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. From youngest to oldest here in this room, we have all fallen short of God's glory through sin or because of sin. If you question that and question whether we are born sinners or not, we have some blessed young children here today. Any one of them running around this room, you take them home. They're doing awesome right now. Parents are working miracles right now as I'm talking. But you take them home and you see it within five minutes of walking into the door. We have some, we, we praise God for our blessings, our four girls and David. Our youngest one right now is proving her sinful nature that she got from her mom. (laughs) And this little girl's learning every day. And yesterday I was outside doing some work and I heard this like blood curling scream last night. And her sisters and David are trying to deal with this poor little girl in the house. And I walk in and say, you cannot do that. Sin abounds in the heart of the human being. Even the young ones. 
The key thought here is this. Paul's saying who needs to be recognized? Everyone needs to, or reconciled. Everyone needs to be reconciled to God. It is not exclusive to Jew or Gentile or any race or any kind of nationality or ethnic group. It is every single person. Romans 1 through 3 clearly designates that. If you are a Jew, you need to come to God through Christ. If you are a Gentile, you need to come through God to God through Jesus Christ. And if somehow you don't think you're a Jew or a Gentile, I don't know, maybe you're uh, like an alien or something, you still need to come to God. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The whole world has sinned. Who needs reconciliation? Paul doesn't hold back. Every single one of us born into this world needs reconciliation to a holy God. Here's the next question. What was required for reconciliation? This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was required for reconciliation? Clearly, it's found in this. Um, Before we even read verse 19 through 22, remember what we talked about last week. This pre-Gnostic thought that the church of Colossae, Colossae had kind of embraced a little bit. This heresy that says, what do you need to do to get to God? Know more. Experience more. Follow these ridiculous emanations and you'll get closer to God. And in one of these emanations, you'll find this this kind of person. He's not fully divine. He's not human, fully human. He's Jesus. He's a good guy, did good things. But he will. That's this pre Gnostic thought. And this is clearly what Paul refutes in this passage. Clearly. Look at verse 19, if, if you would, with me. For in him, who is him? Jesus. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He wasn't like a little bit of human and a little bit God. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in your minds, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Okay, did you catch the clues of what's needed for reconciliation here? He states them very clearly. Starting with this one. For in him all the fullness if God was pleased to dwell. Simply this, and please catch this, youngest to old, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man at the same time. A perfect God-man was required for reconciliation. You could not have reconciliation if you did not have a fully God, fully man person. For reconciliation to happen, we must have a perfect representative from God to man that could identify fully with a holy God, while at the same time, we needed a perfect representation from man to God who could identify fully with fallen humanity. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the beauty of the real life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was not some spirit being. This is the real life of Jesus Christ. Jesus was full deity while at the same time he took on full humanity. We need to get this in our minds. We can't completely understand this, but we completely trust it because it's in the scriptures. He was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. Why? In order that he might 100% reconcile. Reconciliation required this about 
the Savior. And so what does Paul say? In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You can't beat that. Remember the whole context here. The preeminence of Christ who brought creation, now bringing about the recreation. You can't beat full God and full man. He's not part God, part man. Full God, full man. Beat that. That's what Paul says. What is required for reconciliation? In him all the fullness of God dwells. Verse 20 gives us another clue of what's, des- what's needed for reconciliation. It falls right in line with the entire theme of the scriptures from the fall of the garden. We find this. What is required? Blood. Blood sacrifice. Because of sin, blood sacrifice was demanded. I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to go there right now, but Leviticus 17.11, Isaiah 53.5 His wounds, His blood are required. I think all of this is summarized very beautifully in a New Testament text in Hebrews. Chapter 9, verse 25. Here it is. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's the theme of what happens in Scriptures. Jesus is preeminent because He shed His perfect blood for you and for me. Here's what else is required. Not just the blood. Please understand that. The blood is sufficient. This is the theme of the scriptures. But also, Jesus needed to interact with human death. Why? Because death needed to be conquered. And he, and he says this verse 22. He is now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death. Pain, suffering, bloodshed were not enough for reconciliation. Death was required. Yes, he shed his blood, but he needed to conquer death. All of these things perfectly go together in reconciliation. He needed to die a human death in order to save humans. That's the story of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ died as, and if you want to put this word here, a substitute. Get that. I say this to my kids. Jesus went to the cross, so I don't have to go to the cross. Jesus died so that I don't have to permanently pay, eternally pay for my sin. That is the substitute, Jesus Christ. He died to pay the penalty. This week I've been singing a song. You know the songs that stick in your mind all week long? Here's one I've been singing. I owed a debt I could not pay. You know this song? He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing Amazing Grace. Eva's singing it. And this is the great thing. This Amazing Grace, I didn't even talk to her about it. It's been in my mind. This morning, we're getting ready for breakfast, and I hear my little daughter Eva walking through the house humming this song. I didn't even know she knew that song. Christian school, teaching them, Miss Mackey. Last year, that's what's been going on in my mind all week long. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Amazing grace all day long. All right, we need to keep moving. Here's what else is needed. Catch this. 
We needed a full God, full man. We needed the blood of Jesus Christ expressed in the death of Jesus Christ. But that's not where it stops. We need to go back to verse 18 because Paul clearly shows us something amazing that happens here. it, Here it is. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What is that clearly talking about? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did you need? What did you and I need for reconciliation to a holy God? We needed God to conquer sin and death, and He did that through the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 that I just quoted, Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance. In other words, this is really, really, really important. It's the gospel. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Hopefully we can catch this, that reconciliation would not be possible if one of those four things were missing. Catch that. If one of those four things were missing, you could not have peace with God. We needed a perfect God-man. Here's Paul's point. The preeminent Jesus was this. We needed a blood sacrifice for sins. Well, the preeminent Jesus did this. We needed a death substitute for sins. Well, the preeminent Jesus did this. We needed a victor over death. Well, the preeminent Jesus was this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends here today, whether in this room or tuning in on the radio or online, here's the point. We must place our faith in the preeminent Christ, in Him alone, because all the requirements for reconciliation to God are found only in Him. Paul is saying this to the church in Colossae. Stop looking. Complete in Jesus Christ. He is the only way that we can find full reconciliation where an enemy of God can now sit at the table of a holy God. It is only through Jesus Christ. All right, but the text doesn't end here. What was the purpose of this reconciliation? And Paul so beautifully clarifies this. What's the purpose of this reconciliation? Not that we can slap five and make ourselves feel good about each other on Sunday morning. What's the purpose? Here it is. Verse 22. And you, he has now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present before him. Wow! So what happens right here? We get a glimpse with Paul of the future. Paul is just sitting back thinking, oh, this is so beautiful. Look what Jesus Christ, the reconciler, has done. He says to present you holy. Holy means set apart, dedicated, consecrated for sin, from sin to righteousness. You are God's special holy people. God has created a people for himself. Holy. He uses two other descriptors. Blameless. This is without defect or blemish. Untainted by sin. The last one. Above reproach before him. Innocent. Not charged. uh, Or no charge can be made against you because of your past. This is what God has done through Jesus Christ. He's presenting a special people for God. 
a unique people. We're going to see in just a minute. Guess what that is? It is the church of God, his bride. He has presented this. So we get a glimpse with Paul of the purpose. Here's the purpose of this reconciliation, that he might present to God a worthy bride, a worthy present. So that's the future. But what, what about right here, right now? Okay, great. Reconciliation happened. I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I know that now my heart has been changed from the inside out. I am ready to be presented to God when I breathe my last breath, when I stand before God. Okay, but what about here and now? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul deals with that right here. What's the expectation for reconciliation right now? How do we deal with this right now? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. What's the expectation of of reconciliation? I need to move through this. Is that we continue to live out our faith. The key word is continue. Live it out. Prove that your relationship with God is authentic because your faith is enduring. One way of putting it is, your faith is persevering. He says, continue in the faith. What are we to do right now, right here? What are we to do as we study God's word right now and as we walk out these doors? Here it is. Continue in the faith. Grow, persevere, remain, persist in the faith. Don't stop believing. Maybe a song like that. Here's another one. Stable and steadfast. Stable and steadfast. What's the expectation for right here, right now? Continue in the face, stable and steadfast. In other words, founded and firm. We also find this in the scripture. Like a house built on the rock, not the sand. Not, like James says, not blown away with all these different ideologies. Stable in your faith. Not shifting away from the hope of the gospel. In other words, not moved. Another way of saying not moved. This, this concept of shifting is like a sense of wandering. Bouncing off the walls. Wandering. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we, when we had last and pine service, we went to those caves, the tunnels up there. RG, what are those called, those tunnels? Subway tunnels, yeah. We went up there. Made our lights, our flashlights. We walked through some of those. You try turning off those lights and they got those knobs all over the ground. You'd be flat on your face. All right, that's simply like what Paul is talking about here. Not wandering and bouncing off things. Trying to find your way. Not looking and saying, oh, that's an intriguing philosophy. I love that. Paul's saying, no, no. Come back here to the light. Come back to Jesus Christ. Don't look farther than all the fullness of God bodily. What's the point? Jesus deserves first place because he has brought reconciliation. Recreation through reconciliation. He is the preeminent God. One last, and it will be quick point, because why does Jesus deserve first place? We have to add this in according to the text because it's clear. Verse 18. Jesus has established a reconciled community. What does he say? And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Simply this, brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus deserves first place because he has created 
something amazing. What is it? It's the church. He has pulled out ones from every kindred, tribe, people, and nation, and He has made us one in Jesus Christ. Here's the thought. You are not alone. That stuff you're struggling through right now, when your faith is tested, when you look around you and you think, could it get much worse than that? When you go through another month of COVID-19 and you're like, really? More fear and more all this stuff. When you look around and you're thinking, how can I do this? That's where we realize that we are never alone. The body of the Christ is meant to encourage each other through the Spirit. This is the Spirit of God working in our lives through the body of Christ. Definitely more could be said about this, but we have this. An active leader. He's known as the head. He is the head of the body, the church. Okay, you can't go anywhere without your head. <laughs> can't leave the house without it. <laughs> All right? I don't know if you ever tried to, this is morbid, but take a head off of chicken and watch it try to run around, right? It tries to go places, ain't not going anywhere. It's getting there fast, but not going anywhere. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't go anywhere without our head, Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying here, not only has he reconciled us to God, but he's done it with hundreds and thousands and millions of other people, the body of Christ. Okay, so what? We need to close this out. I'll ask this, answer this question with another question. Would you interact with this question as we close out today? Are you a new creation of the preeminent Christ? I don't want to beat around the bush today. I want to ask this. Have you been reconciled to God? Has Jesus Christ changed you from the inside out? How? By placing your faith, repenting of your sins, placing your faith fully in the preeminent Christ. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have not come to Christ would today be the day? I, I want to essentially plead with you this morning. Do not leave this building without settling this reconciliation thought. You're not promised another day. There's some young ones here today that have been wrestling with this for weeks now as we've gone through this, this, these portraits of Jesus Christ. There's some adults here that are wrestling with this for, for months now. Am I a follower of Jesus Christ just like Grant said earlier, would you go home knowing that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ? Settle it today. I'll be at the front. Other elders will be around. Chaplains will be kind of mingling around. Come and grab one of us and say, hey, can you talk with me more about this? Maybe you need to go home and wrestle with it on your knees before God. But here's the fact. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. to this preeminent Christ and He makes you a new creation from the inside out? Last question is this. Maybe you have come to Him in faith, but is Jesus preeminent in your life today? Not prominent, but preeminent. Let's go home with that thought. Jesus doesn't want to just be prominent in our lives. 
He wants to be preeminent in our lives. I'll never forget as a high schooler, a junior in high schooler, sitting in a counseling and training session at a Bible uh, uh, camp, sitting there listening to this, and one of the preachers got up and he said, Jesus doesn't want to be prominent in your life. He wants to be preeminent. And that has come to my mind thousands of times since that moment. Brothers and sisters in Christ here, Jesus doesn't want to be prominent in your life. He wants to be preeminent in your life. In every decision you are making right now. In every thought you are thinking right now. In every reaction you are showing right now. In every action you are participating in right now. Christ does not want to be prominent. He wants to be preeminent in Christ as our faith is tested Fix our eyes on the preeminent one. God, that's a prayer of our hearts. We would not take our eyes off the first place one. Thank you for what you've done to bring us into relationship with you. Let us never forget this work of grace in our hearts. Where you took an enemy of you through Jesus Christ, through your grace and kindness and indescribable love, you brought us into relationship with you. Thank you. And I pray, God, right now for those wrestling with this here, that they would not go home without dealing with this. They would not go through another night where they pillow their head, wondering if they are a child of yours, but that they by faith would come to you, call to you to save them. Oh God, from youngest to oldest, I pray that you would draw people to yourself today. Lastly, I pray, Father, that you would help us, by your grace, to keep Christ preeminent in every decision of our days. Keep Christ first place. Thank you for the attentiveness of the congregation today as we went long. Thank you for these kids who endured well and the parents who uh, have done such a great job guiding their children to listen. Thank you. I pray, Father, that we would go home today overwhelmed with the fact that Christ is enough, that we can call out and say, all I have is Christ, and that is okay. In the mess of the world we live in, I have Jesus. He is mine, and I am his. Let us go home with that thought today as we sing this anthem of praise to you today, Father. All I have is Christ. Let it come from the bottom of our hearts out through our mouths now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.